Hi, fellow geochemists and geochemistry enthusiasts. Welcome to Geochemist Tea, the only podcast for people who love geochemistry with a side of tea. Our mission is to inspire aspiring geochemists and to introduce our listeners to niche geochemistry topics. I'm your host, Sam Scher, and this month we're talking with Julia Oliveira about 3D modeling of geochemical data. Julia is the Senior Technical Leader in Latin America at Sequent. Julia, welcome to Geochemistry. Hi, Sam. I'm so happy to be here. So excited. So excited. So I would explain where... Uh, we were trying to be serious. You, you know, oh, it's fine. You know, people are going to love this. This is a very limited editing, too. And people are going to love it. I that. know. That's so why I was so like, we were trying to be serious. We couldn't. So whatever. I'm super ultra excited. So excited to be here. That said, I would explain where Julie and I met, except she's alluded to this being her tea time story. So I'll just say that I know Julia a, a long time at this point. At first, she started out as an exploration geologist in Brazil, Mexico, and Chile before joining the Leapfrog Geo team when they were still a RANS. And does anybody know what a RANS yeah. was? Yeah. So yeah, we were leapfrog. Yeah, we're that. leapfrog, yeah. but it was kind of like we're a RANS, yeah. and it was like mm-hmm. not a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Julia, can you talk to our listeners about your career progression and how you got into 3D geology modeling and perhaps why it's such an important fundamental tool, not just for geologists, but for geochemists as well? Yeah, I can. So the story goes when I was in university, I graduated. When I was in university, I was always good with softwares. Let's start with that. I always like computer and all of that. And then I graduated and I came to Chile. I got a job in exploration to work for Codelco, for MSI, actually, Exploration, Exploraciones Mineras Andinas. It's the division of exploration of Codelco. Let's go like that. And Codelco is for those that don't know about it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just one of the world's largest copper only producers and it just owns Chile copper mines. Yeah. Like that, yeah. yeah kind of like I that. came to Chile like that. I came to Chile because of that job, and my first boss, um, the, the other geologists, I think they didn't like computer that much. They like to be in the field and all of that. And he asked, "Do you want to take a leapfrog training?" And I was like, "Imagine you like in your first job, and someone asking, do you want to take a training?'" I went like, "Yes." I took the training. I love it, and and then. I was going to the field, but the geologists didn't want to use software at all, the geologists that were working with me. So they asked me if I could start helping modeling. Imagine that. And I started supporting them with that. And I I didn't model just with LeapFrag at that time. I started modeling with other modeling softwares too, but it was quite funny. So I had experience with other softwares at the same time. And then... I went to another job and I already knew how to model and it just went like that. To be honest, I didn't plan. It just happened to me, right? 
the software just fell on me and was like, <laughs> okay, she's good. Let her model. We're not going to leave her in the field. It got, it's really funny because I was the junior geologist and they were like, could you not go to the field and stay modeling for us and for a few days? Yeah, the, well, a bit of a different you know, experience. Yeah, it doesn't happen yeah, to many. Mm. No, yeah. it, it was lucky, but at the same time, I dedicate a lot of hours to it. It, it. it seems really beautiful when you say like that. But on weekends, I was studying, training the software, <laughs> practicing, reading. I remember, just funny, small funny fact, when I arrived to Chile, Brazil doesn't have that much copper, right? Mm -hmm. And we don't learn about copper minerals. And one of my first things that I did was like mapping drill holes as everyone, right? Mm -hmm. And I didn't know all the colors of the minerals of copper. I discovered so many types of greens in that moment. <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh my gosh, how, how can you have so many types of greens? Yeah, is it teal, and... is it turquoise, is it teal too? <laughs> oh God. Yeah. And the veins, how many types of veins? Quartz mm -hmm. veins you can find in a porphyry. Yeah. It was like exploding my mind. But that apart, I studied a lot on the weekends, nights, books, and the computer was my best friend my first two years. And with that, you're with that, I continue working. I jumped from one company to another with different opportunities. I went to a junior company. And they always the modeling came with me because I knew how to, and not all the geologists knew. So it was a superpower. And one beautiful day, I was without a job in one of those gaps when you came out from one job looking for jobs. And I applied to Leapfrog, to Sequin, to a RANS, sorry, to a RANS Geo. To a RANS <laughs> Geo. To a position in Australia. Imagine that. I went to a few interviews. Uh, it seems it went quite good. I was interviewed from, I think, I don't remember his name, but someone from Australia. And then they said, no, thank you. The position is not for you because we're trying to find someone here in Australia. I was like, okay. And I found another job and I went back to the field. I went back to doing what I was doing. Great, happy. One year and something later, I received an email. Are you still interested in the position for leapfrog, for modeling? And then I was like, I don't know, maybe let's talk. And then they hired me for sequent like nine years ago. So it worked. But and it was funny because you're talking like modeling geochemistry. I think the first contact that I had with geochemistry was because of modeling, uh, because of like being the field, of course. But to be super honest, the first big contact that I had, it was when I started working with you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't want to throw that on you, but yeah, we we had, when I was already in sequence and we had all these trainings. And then I remember your questions, you always came with a lot of questions about, okay, so what do you do? Why I'm doing that? And how do I put like my geochemistry here and all of that? I remember all those questions and every time that a customer comes to us to ask questions, normally our team, these geoscientists, we start studying, we start hard mm. to learn. Yeah, because it's impossible to be specialist in everything, right? Absolutely. And sequent or leapfrog or whatever, whatever the name we have, we, it's a school. 
where you can learn. And I think any job, I don't know, Sam, what do you think? I think any job can be like a school if you put your mind into it because you find all these interesting things and you, you're going to find like corners that you need to study more or go deeper. So I would I say know. too, it's all about the people that I've been on this path towards understanding not just hyperspectral better, that's the wrong thing. It's optical engineering. It's a combination of that plus how do we process data better? How do we do like probably five different things in this like very broad field better. And I've been on the phone for with probably three or four different people now for, mm. from different sections that have different expertise or knowledge of certain areas. So I would agree with that. It's also for things that you don't, you can't read in a book or you can't read mm. for me on say stack overflow, trying to learn more about algorithms. It's also just knowing which of your friends, which of your colleagues knows different things about different pieces of the information that you need to make the broader puzzle fit. And yeah. I agree totally with that. It's a never ending process for me of learning. So I think it's always going to be like that. I always going to need to learn something new and my career, it was since here, I think like, the only common ground that I have since I started <laughs> until now is that I never stop learning. Yeah. And I have to say too, that there's been, and we, this will be a sidebar that we'll talk about later. It's definitely not for the show, but there's some other things that I've been coming across lately that I have to rethink how I've modeled this because it's not good enough. And yes. I need to get on the phone, maybe some of her other little minions here. And we need to like workshop this. We need to think about it because this is going to yeah. have impacts towards modeling in the future. So it's also just about having an idea and then calling on the domain experts to be like, okay, this is what I'm thinking. This is the problem. This is what I can give to you in terms of my knowledge, but then how do we make this better with your knowledge? And I'm like, it's almost like a marketing phrase now that you said, can you, if you have like customers from sequent listening, listen to her. She said like, it's a model <laughs> and you can't, you need to rethink your model. Please do that because it's super crazy. People forget that a model is a model. It's not mm. like reality. It's a model. It's an idea. You're trying to find what is underground or understand what is underground. It's not the truth necessarily. We're never going to know what is the real truth of a model in the end. So you need you to take out all the you have, right? It's, to it's funny too, because your truth. So I'm thinking about this one project I'm working on. Your mm -hmm. truth, my truth. Like there's three or four minimum different iterations of it. And gotcha. it's just, yeah, and it's okay. Well, now I need to go and talk to my friends at LeapFrog. <laughs> yeah. So we yeah. think about what other people are doing. And then maybe this one's a little bit better than that one because of these eight different things or something like that. But no, it gets wild. Um, yeah, you talked about school and you just said some phrase that is really cool. I was thinking, I remember that when people asked why you're doing geology, why you're like studying geology. And my phrase was always like, I feel like we are detectives of Mother Earth, of nature, <laughs> of rocks. And it's true. Like, I feel You're like not that. wrong. I'm not wrong. Yeah. No. And it, it's super cool because imagine we, we are taking out this, how do you say that, pistas and uh, tips, like you get getting all these things that you see in the nature and putting together as a puzzle and putting together the puzzle, but you don't have all the pieces of the puzzle, right? Mm -hmm. And it's what is exciting about science, about geology. And modeling is just one way of seeing your puzzle together and helping to see what is missing from this puzzle too. 
what I need to put there, what is missing, what data do I need, what new data do I need to understand it better? And you go on that way. And and if you, you ask about geochemistry modeling, I feel like it's one of the pieces of the puzzle that you need to have. And the question is how you're going to match it with the other data that you have, how you're going to cross. And the modeling comes with that. It put it in 3D and makes easier for you to see it and discuss it. Because from a non-geocam, what can I say? The graphs are quite complicated. You need to be a specialist. You, ha you guys have a lot point. of colors. We have besides just geological modeling, we also have the we also have data scientists too, right? And I don't even know yes. where this is supposed to fit into the flow of this podcast right now, but we're just gonna roll with it. But yeah. what it comes down to is that whenever you're doing something in terms of whether you're doing 3D modeling or you're doing some kind of other like algorithm style modeling, having the domain expert sitting next to you just as much as you need that 3D modeler or that data scientist, you need that domain expertise, whether it's a geophysicist, yep. and whether it's a geochemist, whether it's just a really good geologist who's been in the field, who knows the rocks, having those different domains to make your model better, like that's always going to be something. And that's definitely something that I've learned through the many iterations of me modeling yeah. things. <laughs> Normally when people come with the models, let, let's say all the conversations that we have with the geochem people, they come with just the geochem data. I always say, okay, let's cross some data. Bring me like a little bit of maybe geophysics. What do you have more than the geochemistry? What can tell you the story, right? What can like, how can we cross that? What is your doubt? Remember when you always, I always ask what you're trying to find here. What are you trying to find it here? What is your idea? And then with that, you see the data and the data, data tells you what to do. It's really funny because you see the patterns. It's all about seeing in 3D the patterns. And you. And I love when it's, I see like customers faces when they see the data and they go, they go like blank because they were looking for something and then they go blank, like almost, oh my God, it was that. It's my favorite moment ever in every support that I, I have. I think we'll park this conversation and I've made a note of something that I wanted to talk about because something that's really interesting in 3D modeling is just definitely that, what you have the power of that over, say, just looking at something in 2D, you can move things around, you can look at it from a different view. And then that for me was always just such a big thing in terms of now we can even talk a little bit about driver uh, towards the end, but oh, we now can. we... We have this ability to just see, okay, well, even though the geology might be going this way, actually the fluid foe for the geochemistry, I'm looking at it and really the trend is actually like this. So yeah, I've thrown yeah. a note down here to talk about trends. So we're going to park this. One other thing that I find that's really interesting about Julia and I want everybody to know about it, and it's maybe something about myself, but also about a lot of other people that I met while working abroad is that, and I want to say this to all our young listeners out there, never be afraid of going a place that you don't know a language. I've seen people <laughs> that have struggled to learn the language. For me, it wasn't necessarily easy either. Julia knows, so she's Brazilian. Julia had gone, to, did some schooling in the U.S. and Mexico. She then started working in Chile. Julia speaks three languages, and she wasn't born speaking three languages, right? No. And no. so... <laughs> I guess what I would just say, if you would just, just talk a little bit about that to 
our listeners in terms of just maybe not being afraid? It's always what I always told you. Okay, so I'm Brazilian. My first language is Portuguese. When I was a kid, small kid, my parents had the vision that I need to learn English. It's not <laughs> to everyone in Brazil that is like that. But they forced me, obligated me in the beginning of my childhood to learn English. And of course, we didn't have internet that time. So to learn all the lyrics of Spice Girls and Backstreet Boys, I'm telling my age like that. <laughs> with that. Uh, yes. <laughs> I needed to buy like these magazines that they come with the lyrics. You're at the same time as me, so you know what I'm, I'm talking my, about. I'm yes. seeing what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. And and I remember to try when I was 13, 13 or 11, I don't know, to try to listen to the songs and write it down the letter because I didn't have the lyrics. Imagine that. Mm. And I wanted to sing the music and that helped me a lot. But I think like... When it changed my mindset was when I started not caring if my English was perfect. Yeah. And that's the advice. Let's be honest. Sam, do you speak perfect English? Or I do you make horrific mistakes English. in English? <laughs> All the time. I had a, a French teacher when I was living in Quebec uh, for a little bit there. And the French teacher just asked us that we were a very small class, but he says to us, he's, do you like my accent? He's telling, this is the only thing that he said to us in English. Do you like my accent? And we're like, yeah. And he's, do you think it's sexy? And we're like, yeah. And he's like, all accents are sexy. And then yes. that for me just broke it. And then I remember too, being in Chile. Yes, I had taken Spanish throughout high school and throughout college and stuff. But really for me, I think just knowing the grammar was very helpful, but I couldn't hear it. I couldn't speak it. And it just, for me, just one day really clicked. And then it was just that it was throwing out words and it just eventually got to a place where it's not totally embarrassing, but people they think my accent is adorable. It's fine. It, it is adorable, <laughs> by the way. I love it. I love when they see like all these all these foreigners trying to speak Portuguese or English here in Sequin, all people take classes of Portuguese if they don't speak Portuguese or Spanish if they don't speak Spanish and all need to speak English, right? And you have here in the Chilean office, it's so adorable. All these Chilean people trying to speak Portuguese. Oh, oh my, my God, God. The accent must be next it's, level. <laughs> it's adorable. But it's what I'm saying. If a person is mean to you because you don't speak well the language the problem is not on you it's on the other person because the other person is not making an effort and if you speak more than one language the reaction when you see someone trying to speak another language is going to be the same as me or sam as oh my god that's so adorable that's just the effort i think the effort the effort you're trying to communicate with another person from another country so the only tip that I always give, don't be afraid. Don't be scared. Don't be ashamed. Be proud that you're trying to learn another language and making the effort. And mining uh, is just so global. And there is, if you, like, Latin America is all about Spanish, all about Portuguese. Brazil has a huge piece, like, chunk of mining in it, right? So I'm not saying that everybody that listening to this podcast needs to learn Spanish or Portuguese. I'm just saying that don't should. be afraid. And, and do, it opens up horizons for you. So Actually, do you know that my job here in Sequent, I got, not because I'm brilliant, I am, by the way. Everyone <laughs> knows, but I'm, I am brilliant, but because I spoke three languages. 
they were trying to find someone that could support Brazil and Chile. And that was my advantage on top of the other candidates. So, no, no guys. Yeah. So many Open different things to, ha to have learned. So I would say thank you for that. That was such a great intro, both into how you got to where you are. Guys, it was not linear. And I just want everybody always to remember that it is not linear. You're going to go up and down and all around until you get to where you are. But you study hard and look at where it got you. And then the other thing, that be open to learning about different cultures, learning other languages. And that also broadens your horizons. That said, I want to thank you for sharing your journey with us, Julia. But now it's time for my favorite segment, which is tea time. Yes. I'm so excited. So kettle's hot. Please spill. Okay. So... Actually, my story was the story. Oh, my goodness. I told you that I don't. Okay. Oh, my God. So the day that I met Sam, let's start like that. The day, the day that, that, that I met me. Sam, yes, that beautiful day, I was going to a company. She used to work in Admi and Nacho Torresi, that is today the EVP of Sequin Lamb. He's a geologist, too. We are going to give a training to a big group of people and of LeapFrog, of course. And then... <laughs> we had this adorable bringa on our room that slapped the whole course. Oh my gosh. L let's be honest, we hated you that day. It's so annoying. So, everyone that is listening to us, please don't sleep too in on trainings. If you're not okay, let the, the teacher know, the professor, who it is. It's so unpleasant when you have someone that is looking at you. And if anything, Sam slept, and when she woke up, she was making difficult questions. <laughs> we were like, oh my gosh, who is that girl? <laughs> yeah, I was not saying that word, but you said. I let's, said it. let's leave it. You said it now. I don't know what it was about the first year that I lived in Chile. I, I don't know if I had mono or something. I could not stay awake. It was really I think it's bad. You're forcing to speak Spanish all the time and trying to learn. It's a lot for your brain. Imagine. It was extra. I don't know. But I, I remember being like, oh, my God, you have to stay awake. I ended up starting because I, I never drank coffee. I had a bit of an allergy to caffeine. So I remember that I discovered instead of just drinking regular <laughs> water, I would drink seltzer. And that was enough to stimulate me and be awake enough. <laughs> but it was just it was horrific. And I the other thing, too, that I found <laughs> to listeners was that. I can't sit still for more, and not in an ADD way, but just in terms of it makes me tired. I can't sit still for more than 45 minutes. Our, like I have to get up, go fun, to the bathroom, do though. something. Our training is fun. Now it's it so is. Boring. Now I'm so into it. Now I'm always like, hey, do you guys have like an opening in a course? And I'll just go and yeah, I'll sit true. in with Natty or something. And okay, just I, be I like. Drive around. Comment. She learned how to model. Even she slept in the training. What is impressive? <laughs> you know? It was like, it was really funny because like, she slept, but like on the breaks, we clicked. I don't know what we were talking about, but it was something interesting about going out <laughs> for know. sure. For sure. Yeah, for sure. It was something like that. But, or being sociable. I need friends know. is basically what it came down to. I was six months in. My only friend was this geophysicist is named Dan who I'm still unfortunately friends with but yeah I needed more friends was the whole thing and I was like oh my god this girl she's so cool and then Nacho oh, whatever I'll take him too yeah but it was really funny because like you learn how to model and I remember like 
when we started that, even you sleeping training, you were making interesting questions because you, I think even if you didn't know the buttons, you got the idea right behind the modeling. You got the idea like you saw why, why it was helpful for you or for something me, like the that. The most helpful part of it was that I had this structural professor in college and if you didn't see it, he just powered through. He's, he was very old school. Not that I didn't learn a lot from, especially I loved his tectonics course. It was amazing. But in terms yeah. of structure, like I immediately was like, I cannot see what this looks like in three. I don't just understand. This. Max, right? I could not, I still to this oh, day cannot. Um, but once I started seeing these things in 3D and I was like, oh, this is what they mean by the hanging wall, the foot wall. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, like this and that. And then it moves this way. It, I mean, it was you're just, you. you're it, it changed my one. life. Uh, just saying you're not the only one. Like 60% of our customers are better. The ones that are not structuralists, they will mm. say the same thing as you. Yeah. And another like small funny story, but like when I was in school, I was bad in that too. I was horrible in Styrianet. I couldn't see 3D. And I had a professor that was very old school too. When I graduated and I started working sequence, I went back to my uni and <laughs> I went with Leapfrog and I, I organized a call with him. I call no a meeting with him because it was pre-COVID. And I was like, I need to show you something, professor. Here you go. I don't need your stats. Oh. <laughs> and I shot at the tool because yeah, it's a power it, move. <laughs> it, it was a power move. Yeah, yeah, it was. But it's just because like I couldn't see it. I couldn't understand it. And that's the power of the 3D tools. It doesn't mean that you don't need to do in paper. It's just people that can't see in paper sometimes and stuff. When you put it in the computer, you can see it. We are yeah. not the same. We are all different. So yeah. it's I'm just not, perfect. Like, I'm not jealous of something that I can see it on a stereo. And I'm just saying you're not as good. You're not better than me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got leapfrog now. <laughs> I got leapfrog now. And I work for leapfrog. Yeah. Yeah. It was oh that. My God. Anyway, that was a great reminder of that time of my life. But P.S. to anybody listening out there that wants to judge me, I no longer fall asleep in meetings. I've gotten better about that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I've been to a lot of meetings with her and I, I can say that I don't know if she likes me more now and she tries to respect me, but she didn't sleep in any of my meetings. So, yeah. No, no, no. I, that's something I tried to throw out the window. So now I'll do different kinds of teas, different kinds of stuff. Every 45, I'm up, like moving around. I just take a quick break. But even when I give my own trainings for things, the longest I'll put people through is, and yeah, yeah I just, yeah. Mm, I break it up for them. And as soon as I start to see people tipping off and everything, because you can't, sometimes you can't really help it, then I'm like, okay, break time. Let's all just go yeah. out. But yeah, for me, an hour 15 and, and no more. To listeners, if you're in my training or Sam's training, please don't sleep again. Yeah, don't, don't sleep. <laughs> Ask for a water. I don't know. We can have chocolates. We can have everything. There's so much we could training. do. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so much. Please don't sleep. It's so yeah. annoying when people don't sleep. sleep. Don't, sleep. Yeah. don't sleep. I was young. Yeah. I was, yeah, I was a lot. No, I, I, forgave, <laughs> I forgave you like a long time ago. Don't worry. I don't know about Nacho, but I did. I forgave you like yeah, a long time ago. Nacho we're beyond that honestly <laughs> I think he's the one that's just too annoying at this point yeah that's you yeah. So, yeah oh my god I love it that was great and I hope that everybody enjoyed that last segment of the show 
what we're going to do is Julia had, had given me a bunch of different links from the sequent blog, which were really interesting. And I read them all. I haven't finished the one that Putra and I forget who on the sequent end did it, but basically it was just this hour long kind of IO gas link thing, yeah. which was really interesting, that, but it was an hour. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's just um, all through. So yes. Yeah. The recommended reading and the links that are up on the website are linking lithology and geochemistry with iogas and leapfrog workflows, connecting exploration teams with fast and agile workflows, mapping Canadian metal deposits, data as a solid investment for junior exploration companies, and modeling large and complex data in the Integra Gold Rush Challenge. So like I said, these were some really great reads. And they get us to the mindset, I think, of what you and I really want to talk about today, namely, which is the integration of geochemistry and 3D modeling. To get our conversation going here, could you start out by summarizing broadly the common thread that you had between all these different blog posts? Yeah, I, I, actually, being super honest, I was trying to find one that was fully geochem, and I felt like we don't have it. So the first, no, we'll write one. We'll write one. That's why that I was saying to you when you asked me, I was like, oh my God, how I don't have it. So Sam, you're invited to, let's do a webinar together, like like showing what we do. And I I know that Lucas will be on top of the game. Lucas is our marketing, by the way. Thank you, Luca for Lucas and Monica (laughs) uh, for letting me be here too. So I think we need to write something together because I didn't have something that straightforward about it. And we worked so many hours in so many models for those years, mixing geocam and working that in the modeling. And we had so like rich discussions about it. Mm. And in my head, why I gave all those links? Because I, I was thinking about geocam and exploration, right? The power of the geochemistry and exploration, but it's not there, not just there. And I couldn't find something that could explain what I learned with you and with other other customers that work with that. For example, if I could say what I learned with you with the modeling, like all these ternary graphs and graphs with all those (laughs) colors and complicated (laughs) ideas and domains, they are super important to understand the pattern of the geology, where is the mineral going? What is happening here? It's telling you the story. And sometimes it's so difficult to explain for someone like me that I'm not a geochem by wording. I remember you're trying to explain in the domains and it was like, mm, not getting it yet. But every time that you throw it on Leapfrog and show to me what you're saying, like, I'm saying that, Julia. And it was like, I'm going to cross this with this mineral or I'm going to make this domain, look at this. And I was like, ah, got it. So it goes on that way. And she's trying to understand the structural pattern and why this immunization is going that way or what's happening here and what is the tendency. And then it made sense. I think the modeling here sometimes comes to democratize. This is a word in English, democratize. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm rolling with this, yeah. Yeah, okay. With the knowledge in the end, it's a translator. The model is a translator to make different groups to understand each other and be able to share. Make sense? Yeah, and I think what Julia's really getting is, so sometimes 
being able to see multiple elements at one time yeah. can be really important because you're looking to see a trend of maybe some kind of specific alteration, for instance. Um, if you're just doing, and well, I've, I have some softball questions where we're going to define all these listeners, so don't worry about it. <laughs> but if you have the, these different kinds of interpolants, you're only looking at one thing at a time. It's, well, how do we see these multiple mm. ones, which are important to get? How do we see these at the same time? So that might be where you use either your IOGAS link or if you've created some stuff either in Python or R or whatever program that you're using, that would be where you might define some domains so you could see things at the same time. And so these are some of the things that I've had problems with that we have the core logging geology or we have whatever has been mapped, but really in terms of elementally, what I'm seeing is this, how do we start to look at this in three dimensions in a way that's actually respecting maybe the percentages of assays or there's just yeah. so many different things to think about that. It just makes my mind want to explode every single time. And I just, the, I the layers of knowledge, right? It's, you have so, so many, many different things. layers. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you just got to a point we, if we had planned to the listeners, the conversation wouldn't go better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Since you said in LeapFrog, and the beauty of the thing about combining the elements, LeapFrog is good for that, but it's not the best one. Let's be honest. Like how you're struggling to combine multi-elements. Remember, like we're trying to put together like elements and tables and all of that, because just to the listeners, the workflow that normally with Sam we, we use she has all those millions of elements, the crazy colors and all of that. And she needs to see all together. So when Sam calls me normally, when she can't see something, so she needs someone that manage well the software to give tips and what tools she needs to use to see what she wants to see. It's normally the support that I do to her is that she just call me, Julia, when it's an easy one, she goes with my, my support. Yeah. And when she wants to laugh and uh, to talk a little bit more, because we can't talk just five minutes as you guys are listening now, she calls me when she has more time. So, and then we just try to see it together and we discuss, okay, so should you do an interpolant? What algorithm you should you use? Because LeapFrog in the end, it's all algorithms. And we know that LeapFrog is not the best one to see multi-elements. To see, yes, but not to combine, it's to analyze. And then what comes to now, we knew that in sequent. So, and we start thinking how to fix that. And a few months ago, we bought a company, we bought a, a software from a company called Minerva. The software, it's called Driver. That is something that we are working in the early access program that Sam was lucky enough to try it out. I hope you like it. Oh, actually. Can I get the file? I've only worked on it with Sam. I haven't. Can I get my own now? I don't can know. I, I will him? talk to you. Okay. You can call him. I'll call, I'll call him. him. Be call like, him. Hey. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because like we have the EAP and some customers are testing. So driver comes to help on that white space that we had that you couldn't see the multi elements together and analyze. Basically, driver do uh, so exploration analysis of the data to help exploratory, you to see the, uh, data exploratory. Data. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was like in my brain trying I was to. Like, to, to who to, calls it that? No, it's in Spanish. Yeah. How do you say in English? EDA. EDA. Oh, so in Spanish. A-D-A. 
just, just like it would be a. It's just if you go to another bar and you said an IPA, whoever was, what's that? It's an IPA. No, but in, in Spanish, you say EDA. EDA, okay. EDA. Like it's cute, it. huh? It is cute. Okay, EDA. You do the EDA and it helps you to see the patterns of those elements. You have a lot of more tools there. I'm just saying, like, giving just a hint of what it is. You can do much more, but it makes your analysis much faster with multi elements. Actually, is what you're looking for, Sam. <laughs> is what exactly. you were asking me the <laughs> other day. So it, it comes with that idea to make your life easier and for the geologist to think and not just being pushing buttons. That's the idea, no? Mm -hmm. We are here to analyze the data. I love that. And so I would say after this really great intro um, and how I generally like to start off this section is really just to explain a, a lot of terminology because I feel at this point we've probably lost some people and I want to get oh. them back on board because I think we've been working this so, for so long that we take all these terms for, yeah. for granted. So at yes. first, the first thing I would say in general for LeapFrog, could you just talk to us what implicit modeling is and why it's using it makes mm. it so powerful? Yeah. I love it. Ooh. So easy, fun questions. Yay. Yeah. That's what it is. Uh, it's softball questions. There's nothing hard over here. Like it's just, it. yeah. Okay. So softball is not easy. Let's start with that. But yeah. <laughs> oh, by the way, another tea time. I can tell the story. Sam took me to play softball when she was living here. Remember oh that? Oh my God. I do. We played with our mentee. Yeah. yeah. He had yes. a team. <laughs> okay. Back to implicit modeling. The Venezuelan. So you have two types of modeling that basically two types of modeling you have more but what is called explicit is when explicit modeling is when you have all this cross section and you need to draw by hand the model right so you put line behind line and you take a long time to do one model and like implicit modeling comes with a mathematical algorithm that supports your modeling so we get your data you say what is your trend what is the tendency of your data and then you ask for the software to interpolate yeah, that algorithm. It creates a surface with that algorithm and then create your model like that. Of course, it's a lot of details that you need to put, like what's the tendency, what angle, what everything. You need to understand the geology to be able to, to model. But in resume, what the difference about implicit and explicit, implicit is faster because it has a mathematical algorithm behind and it's easier to reproduce that model because it has mathematical algorithm behind. It's not just me drawing on top of a computer software. And for example, guys, if I get a new drill hole result, if it's the same file name, <clears throat> I can just refresh, click refresh or click append yeah. data in LeafRog. It adds the yeah. new one. Whatever I've already created isn't destroyed. I don't have to create a whole new thing, takes in the new data into account and changes a few things based on the new data, but I'm not always recreating new models or anything. I'm just always appending to them. Yeah, if you will. exactly. Oh, appending are in, in general, updating, updating, updating your model. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so then as a follow-up um, question to here, there's numerous ways that we can deal with geochem data in LeapFrog. So could you just talk quick about what the different options are and the situations yeah. where we would use one or the other? Okay, so you have two ways that you could do a model that is categorical. So when you have hard boundaries, for example, 
you have a rock that finishes in one point and the other starts in the other point, right? So let's say the categorical, when I would use, it would depend on the main, when the data is not continuous, when you have, let's say you have some domains that are inside of something, they can go outside, they can extrapolate something. I would think about categorical modeling. The other one could be the numerical modeling that I could use, that is when it's continuous data. So for example, when you want to explore, right? And to see the continuity of that data, I would use the, the numerical data. These are two tools, different tools. The numerical data would do great shells. So it's like shells, literally one inside of the other and you do, you see the continuity and it's a thousand of ways that you could use. So in one of the papers, you could see that. I don't remember what it is, but if they don't know, just write to me, Sam. You're going to add my email or something, right? Sure. Yeah, put the support there and just Sounds ask great. to us. I love and that. we're going to be happy to analyze people with their data to understand because without images, it's so difficult to explain the difference, huh? <laughs> yeah, because I know for me, the biggest difference that I saw was we used to have, what was it? And I'm going to get this wrong. We used to just have the RBF interpolant and then we got the indicator. Um, you got it right. You I know. You got it wrong. Sometimes oh, yeah. Such yeah. a good teacher, such a good student. Love That's it. Insane. Yeah. So like in general, what's the difference between the indicator one and the regular? In America. So mm -hmm. when you're bringing the great shells, the indicator you're trying you do more percentage. You're trying mm -hmm. to indicate a tendency. So sure. the controls are different, right? So one, for example, the great shells, you would do the difference of ranges. So you could do from three to four, for example, four to six or lower than or higher than certain values. And you see the shells that are connected to each other. The other one, you're just choosing, let's say, not necessarily a range, but a percentage. You're seeing like how much you can follow on that pattern or that element, and you see a tendency. You could do that with higher elements and lower elements, but you need to put some tweaks on your algorithm, on the advanced tools there, but taking it out, you can do. And that is the biggest difference between it two. Do you use a, a lot, like, I think you use a lot indicator, right? I started using more of the indicator. Yeah. 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 But you use a lot of, of grade shells too. You don't use yeah. much categoric. No. When I start, because it's more of an EDA thing, an ADA thing. Yeah. I'll start definitely with the just the regular kind of original estimator because I just don't know what the best one is and having more values. It's just, I don't know. I feel like a quicker way to see mm. everything. So really, yeah, I use it more in exploratory. Once I really have settled on what, what I would like. And what is your favorite tool there? What is more, more helpful for you, most helpful for you? I haven't decided like final product, which one I like better necessarily. I think it's the indicator, but I, I honestly think the more powerful for me is when I am just trying to see trends, trying to see what the ranges are of the different elements or minerals, say that using mm. like some hyperspectral data, um, yeah. using just the regular RBF interpolant can be really powerful because it just, you can choose different things instead of just like yes. inside or outside. So yeah. it's just a very powerful EDA tool. Yeah. 
that I love. So cool. yeah. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Makes a lot of sense. I think we've alluded to it by talking about in terms of EDA kind of styles, but we're working, say, with copper data or gold data. What's the difference mm-hmm. between us and a resource geologist then? Ooh. Uh, the research geologist is going to see the data in a different way, I would say. Yeah, just completely they're different. <laughs> completely different. It's, they are worried about other problems. I think, I, I always like to think, love to think that it always depends on how you look to data, how you're looking into the data. Mm. It's the same data, but it depends what questions you ask for the data. Sure. It's kind of even poetic, right? <laughs> and yeah, and the research geologist, it's asking the data how much, I like to think. We're doing some trainings with one of our customers for a grade control team. And it was funny because after the first day of training, one of my peers here, he finished a little bit freaking out because all those questions were not questions that we're used to have because this team was worried it was the same data. We are using the same data I would use for you, for example. Sure. But the questions made on top of it were, they were not worried about the domains, for example, the mm. geological domains. They should be. They, <laughs> but they were not because they, they, they are working post the estimation already, the resource estimation too. And what was funny, they were worried about the area, what area they would do the blast for the blasts mm. and all of that and how much is that how much it moved and it was quite interesting because it was the same data but it changed the focus and where i'm trying to go with that is that what's the difference in how they look to data they are worried about other things than you guys are so they will worry about the tendency but not of multi elements they worry about one element inside of one domain sometimes or one element in multiple domains. It's gonna depend also on the deposit, right? And the experience and how they see. And something that you learn, it always, the other thing that's gonna depend too, what type of resource estimation person they are. Because you have the estimations, they are practitioners and you have the classical ones and they will look to the data differently too. So is what questions you're making to the data. Yeah, I think that to me makes a lot of sense. If anybody's brand new, a resource geologist, they are employed by the mine. They are looking to see what in their block model, this 10 by 10 or 20 by 20 box, how much copper is in there. Yeah. Yeah. How much you're taking out from any mineral from that block. That's the answer, the question that they need to make to the model in the end. Mm -hmm. But for that, it's a lot of steps, let's say geological domains, understanding the geology, and the whole story that you need to tell to get to that block. So, And on that same path, I think for me, I would just use it as a yes, no question. But if you have anything more to add, but do you think that we can model our geochem effectively with all, also without a strong understanding of the geology, whether it's structural, whether it's... Never. Mythology. <laughs> never. Never. <laughs> never. Never. It's not yes or no. It's never. Please don't do it. <laughs> it's the famous garbage in, garbage out. Everything uh, that you put in, it, so is the triangle of success, right? The pyramid of success. You need to have good geologists that know what is doing and you need to have good data 
and then you can have a good model. If you don't have the knowledge of all the things that you're saying, it's impossible to have a good model. And you need to have good data too. That's the other part that's quite important because bad data will make it a, bad, a good geologist don't know what to do. So you need to trust your data too. Yeah, and I think my second question following this, although I've asked you so many questions, but it's number two on my me. list. Go. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, this question, so now that we've talked about all this stuff about implicit modeling and needing to know about all of our geology to to model our geochem effectively, I think here, like, uh, really the central theme of this episode is presenting 3D modeling of geochemistry to non-expert modelers. So you've had clearly extensive teaching. If you have a bunch of geochemists in the room or even one geochemist in the room, what is your tact with them? Because I would say, I forget me as first starting out, but one of my things was like, okay, immediately, how do I get this into 3D? How do I know this? Like, how do I model my copper, model my zinc, model my whatever? But maybe that's not the best approach. What has your approach been to trying to teach geochemists? First, like, I try to understand what their needs, because not every geochem is going to see the things at the same way. That's the most important. Mm. It's not because they're a geochem that you think on the same way. You have different types of geochem people. That's the other thing that are worried about different parts of geology or whatever. But the first thing, like, the 3D is a big thing. Like, it's a lack of senior data in 3D to understand for the geochem, you guys see in graphs normally, but seeing 3D and being able, as you said, to rotate, the rotating thing of seeing different angles always blows their mind. And it's quite cool because when you rotate, you see in a different angle and you understand in a different perspective, your model. And the other thing, the fact that you can combine different types of data. So you don't have just the geochem anymore. You're gonna, I don't know, get the geophysic and put it together with the geochem to see what happens, what's showing you, what's telling you. So the combining data and the rotating, I don't know, Sam, why you guys love rotating the data so much? You guys like really get excited with that. It's funny because I feel like sometimes you think that, or we as geochemists maybe think yeah. that we are the critical thing. We understand the most. We know why you have copper there. But I found that when I started rotating data, we always talk about fluids in geochemistry, how the copper is moving, how the gold is moving, how it's depositing. We talk about different gradients, temperature, pressure, et cetera. But I think what happens when we start to rotate a model for the first time is we see the structural component and we see the fluid flow, the fluid pathway. Yeah. We also see as well, why was there a redox change? Oh, because this fluid pathway, which is at 30 degrees to the north, is going over an ultramafic body or something, which is the perfect oh. change in chemistry that we would need for gold to fall out of solution or something like that. So for me, the first time I was moving all this and seeing, I was seeing fluid flow. And to this day, cool. I think I see fluid flow. And yeah, and I'm modeling something right now. What I'm seeing here, I know that I have topaz. I've gotten it off of uh, some hyperspectral data. We're trying to model this. But what we're seeing is it's coming up one of these veins, one of these faults. Mm. And, but we're also seeing how it's, it's come up one of these faults. And then it's just like 
going along this boundary between two different lithologies and we're seeing the alteration just you know moving up and moving yeah, that way yeah, it's yeah. also giving you a time so it's this really interesting ptx real-time story and then it's telling you the story and the other thing that you guys love that every training it works when they're sleeping i showed that and it goes <laughs> boom is the combined model you're being able oh. to select data mm -hmm. and to combine different models yeah. to see that combination. That's the other one. The selecting, like the interval selection, where you select different data and put mm -hmm. it together separately, se separate that easy, and you don't need to go back to Excel sheets to do that. It's one that gets people excited too, and the combining models. So I find that I... I go to these open trainings once a year, once every year and a half, and I will go back and I will take the basics. I will learn from the, what is it? The wolf pass upwards or something. Yeah. But I'll do that because every time and even that basic training through to the intermediate and now I'm permitted into the advanced ones. That wasn't always true, but <laughs> through all these levels, there's always new tools coming out and like what you said, when I first learned yeah. Rock, yeah, there was a little bit, some basic interval selection, but it wasn't. Now anything. it's the bomb. Exactly. What you just had me do, what was it, like a few weeks ago? It blew my mind. I turned like an, an interpolant into part of my geologic oh. model. Yeah, yeah, that was a cool one. Yeah, yeah the, the fact that you can transform one thing to another, it's cool. Mm -hmm. And the combining models, but you have all these different small tools. And then it's all about... If you say what I'm saying, all the tools that I'm saying, it helps you to combine different types of data. Yeah. So it makes the gel cam much more part of it and not as a science they're separate of it. It exactly. makes more complementary. So I think it's that it's going to that path on the training and always listening to people and asking, what do you want to see? What is your problem? What do you need? If you ask that, people will tell you and you go to that path because each individual, as you said, like the career is not linear. It's not because your job chemistry that is going to be the same. You're going to think the same way as another job chemistry and you're going to have the same needs. It always going to depend who you are. Yeah. And I would say then also we're talking about how geochemists and different geochemists like to model and everything. But we've also talked a little bit about people that don't have, say, a geochem background. And so in that that kind of opposite perspective, what can then modeling, even if it's just a copper or gold assay, but what can modeling geochemical data do for people who don't necessarily understand these more advanced geochem like workflows. Me. Yeah, sure. So what yeah. can modeling some of the geochem do for you at that point? I can't understand what is happening. <laughs> I can't understand what you guys saying. Let's start with that part because normally it's geochem, it's a complicated science. Not easy for if you're not studying in deep and understanding. I remember like when we first started working together, Sam, I was like, should I ask her what that domain, why she's trying to combine A with B and C? Yes. I'm not <laughs> shy. So I asked. So, but it's that. I need to understand what is combining A, B, and C. Why are you guys thinking like that? What is behind that thought? What is the idea? What is the theory that you have? When you have that in 3D, you're going to go like, huh, it's that. You know, it makes sense. It makes it materialize the idea and the theories that you guys 
create in your head and makes it easier to understand. Like when you draw something to for another person, it's bad. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. So one of the last things that I want to talk to you about today for the show is in geochemistry, we also work with other types of data sets, right? We have some of our more 2D, if you will, soil and let's say rock chip yeah. surveys. So how do we start to integrate that into our 3D models in terms of if we've identified something on the surface? Yeah, how, how would you think about that? Let's start with the 2D is not real 2D because in mm. nature it would be 3D. So I was thinking about that, but also no. sampling in the Andes. And I'm like, well, that's not 2D, but you could, no. you know, you put that in QGIS. So yeah. Okay. But it, but you always have a XYZ. Yeah. If you have a XYZ, it's not 2D. Maybe it's plotted as 2D. So since the data is not 2D, it's 3D. <laughs> what will help surface mapping, the surface analysis is super important. So when you have this plotted in 2D, you just need to be sure that you have the 3D. Like let's say that you have the Zs, you put it there and then transform in 3D automatically. And what will combine with your like, with, with your samples that you have from your drill holes or other samples that you have, it will help you to understand. So it's not just about the 2D, 3D data. It's about every data that you have, extremely important and should be considered. Doesn't matter what data it is. It will, it's always gonna sum. It's never gonna rest, you know? Yeah, and I would say for me more than being like, how do I physically connect this to my drill hole data oh, okay. say I would also say that for me it's okay what we're looking at here because we've poked some holes down into the the ground yeah. now we've seen okay we for example we're in the Andes we've seen okay we have a porphyria depth but what I see at the top then not necessarily that we have to connect it but this is the surface expression whether it's these elements exactly. or these minerals and so that helps me in say a more district-wide campaign because I'm looking for this. Can you think of anything else? No, it's it's that. I, it's just like every data is important. So mm. it's not because it's just different scales that you're working with. Sure, right? it's a good point. And not yeah, and it's not necessary that you're gonna work districtal because it's surface. Sometimes that point, that said, that sample that you took is gonna help you understand in detail a vein because you just took the sample of the vein and it's there. And you had that on your drill hole too. And with that, you're going to be able to see the angle that you couldn't see with that sample on surface. Something like that. Because every piece of the puzzle matters. Doesn't matter if the surface data, just the important thing, the data must be trustworthy. If all the data that you have, 2D, 3D, if you don't trust it, don't use it. It's better because and it's going to make a mess. And that's my last question, oh. which is to say that absolutely one of the trickiest parts of being um, a geochemist is working with historic data sets, which would be mm -hmm. different labs, different analytical packages, et cetera, different companies. Yeah. So how do we deal with this when modeling? Or is it important to first pre-process the data before attempting anything in 3D? Does LeapFrog, for example, notice differences in data sets and flag them? What would you recommend that we do? Yeah. I always recommend that your data first, you need to trust the data. Trust the data doesn't mean that you're not going to have mistakes on the data, errors. You will have anyway, but you need to trust that 
what was sampled, what was anal analyzed there, it's true. It's not a fake value, right? Mistakes will happen like wrong, not wrong numbers, but wrong signals or the software doesn't understand. You have alerts that will jump in your database when something weird happens that is not what the software expected. For example, if I said that it should be categorical and I have a number, it will say like, eh, that's weird. And it's going to give you some signals there for you to fix it. Or if I say that is numeric and it's a letter there, it's going to say it's not that it's another character, right? So it will say like it's wrong and it will let you fix this kind of stuff. But again, it's a software. So it won't understand if it's undesired and should be right It won't know what is true. So that's on you is what I'm saying that you should trust. I always think that you should fix your data. You can use LeapFrog for checking if it's if you have weird stuff in your data because when you're seeing it, you're gonna see, for example, a drill hole flying, and you're gonna go, "Oh, <laughs> that sky shouldn't have a drill hole there," and you see a mistake. You can use it to check weird mistakes, but again, you need to trust your data. If you don't trust your data, that is telling you the truth that the the, the lab that you took the samples are good and all of that better not to use it it's the same sam would you if you have some data that you're like eh, i don't trust that lab would you even check it out no to consider anything so geochemists it remains the constant burden that we share we will spend one day interpreting something and five days cleaning a data set do that <laughs> before you that's import that's for modeling. Frog. The yeah. life of modeling is like that. It's funny. We used to do a lot of project supports, supporting like customers with their data. When I started in Sequin, we don't do that much anymore. I'm sorry, but we used to do that a lot in the beginning. And proof of concepts. I remember when we needed to quote the service, we used to say I used to put at least three of to four days to fix the data and to check the data if the data was good enough. Yeah. to get into leapfrog imagine that three to four days and sometimes was the same time that i used to i used to take for modeling it's so, the same i was just yeah. having a conversation with some of the people from the x io global consultancy which was a big geochemistry consultancy and i remember one of the people there just saying yeah we would quote for five days of yeah cleaning. of doing cleaning and then we yeah. would spend two days actually interpreting it and it just it's just this rough thing that I'll put on my quotes all the time that you have your first, your data look, which is, yeah. but also you might not even be able to proceed, but you have spent five days exactly. looking at a date, cleaning a data set, depending on how big it is. It's a rough, but it's how it is. It's how it is. Not, yeah. yeah. Nothing to do. Nothing to do about it. All right. Well, for me, I think we really touched on a lot of things about modeling geochemical data. Is there anything else that you want to add before we go? I, no, I'm happy. I'm happy. We talked a <laughs> lot. Like we talked a yeah. lot. And yeah. I, if anybody has further questions, the sequin guys. Out. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I love talking. People talk to me. Okay. You can so, reach me out in LinkedIn. There you go, guys. Email. And <laughs> if you guys here around Santiago try to find our office, we're in Las Condes. Happy to receive you guys. We have a beautiful office with good coffee, cookies, and we're Always happy cookies. to receive. <laughs> 
always cookies. I, I'm trying not to eat it that much, but we always have cookies and just come to say hi. We have tables. You guys can come from work from here. We are, let's say we are open door office. So just better write than to a us WeWork. and visit. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, it. yeah, it is. Way better. Yeah, but we like talking, we like sharing, so be prepared. Okay, I love yeah. it. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for being here, Julia. And I hope that this discussion has helped those who are trying to bridge the gap of geochem and being that 3D modeling curious. Uh, I want to thank everybody for listening to Geochemistry. And a big thanks to Julia for being on the show, dishing some tea, even if it was at my own expense, <laughs> and then also taking us on this journey. Thanks to LKI Consulting and its water and Coma Media for our music. And I'm looking forward to chatting with everybody next month. Thank you all. Bye.